When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. And welcome to Monday's edition of the Terrace Scottish Football Podcast. I am your host, Tony Anderson. And on this occasion, I am joined by Joel Sked. Hello, Tony. Hello, Joel. It's a pleasure to talk to you. I've not, I don't get to do this with you as much anymore. It's a, it's a sad part of my life that we don't get to... It used to be every single Monday for about three years that I always met you and spoke to you. Yes, exactly. It was, it's it's uh, it's changed days since then. Since driving up to, um, I remember one incident where driving we were meant to be recording at yours, and then it got changed last minute. But I didn't get the text and uh, had to get recorded at Fillers. So that meant driving across town, and I got my one and only it wasn't a speeding ticket. Driving through a red light, my one and only three points. Well, there we go. And you're <laughs> uh, that's brilliant, Joe. That showed how much you cared even back then, and even now you've grown into. So uh, a proper Scottish football personality, it shows that working hard gets you there and it's worth, it's worth breaking the law to make it there. <laughs> <laughs> Much like uh, some other people in Scottish football we might talk about later. And Craig Anderson, I'm joined by him. Hello, Craig, how are you? I'm good, how are you, Tony? Aye, it's wonderful. It's nice to talk to you as well. Again, someone I don't always get to do these podcasts with, so it's really great. And with the contentious decisions We've had this weekend, Craig. I think I'm going to abuse the fact that you're a ref and uh, you're going to get a lot of those talking points, just to be aware. And on that, we are going to stop, uh, start where those contentious decisions were, and that is Aberdeen versus Rangers. Um, but I'm going to come to you, Joe. I just we'll start maybe about Rangers and the positives. Is, is that is, is Ryan Kent and Alfredo Morelos, are they back? Are they back? Yes, I, I, I think I think so. I think especially Morelos, it seems like this has been building for um, a, a few games now, where he's just he's he's becoming more influential, and it came to a head yesterday. I thought early on, I thought, okay, he's going to have another uh, haphazard display when he got played through in the, what the first twenty seconds, thirty seconds, and the attempt was was really poor. It was really rushed. There was lack of composure, almost like a la- lack of awareness completely. But uh, that being said, the the way he broke the offside trap, the way he ran away from Ash Taylor, that was actually more of a sign to come, uh, a sign of what was to come with him, because I thought his movement, in particular, going towards goal and also linking play was was absolutely brilliant. And then he seen seen Kent, where sometimes he still gives me the he sometimes watching him. I, I, I sometimes still get frustrated with him because there was moments yesterday where he was dribbling, he was doing these stepovers, and he was just gliding past players with ease. And you just, you just think he has the quality to do that more often, to influence games uh, much more for a much longer period. Uh, but then you've you seen the assist for Morelos' second goal. That flick was... It, at first, I didn't think he meant it. And then when you actually uh, when you, you seen on the replay, it was just delicious. Yeah, it was absolutely wonderful. Craig, um, talking of, so Ash Taylor was mentioned there. There's funnily enough, me and Craig Fowler, right after, um, sort of towards the end of the year, we'd done the top five 
players in the league for December. And Craig picked Ash Taylor. And Fowler basically, he basically stated this is exactly what was going to happen. We were going to state that Taylor's had a great time of it and he's wonderful and he doesn't deserve the abuse he gets. But the reality was always going to happen that Ash Taylor would rear his ugly head. Do you feel he was at blame for the two of those goals, Craig? It's hard. Like, Ash Taylor is a mediocre defender. Like, he's not terrible. And I think he had a good month in December. So you can understand kind of the, the two of you coming to that conclusion in that discussion that you had. But he's, he's the worst of the three centre halves. And, and you can say he's at fault. But I, I prefer in both of those goals to, to give credit to Morelos, I think, because. Um, I was reading something funny the, the other week about um, a kind of presentation coaching about how to coach strikers and it was a, describing something called assassin goal scorers. Now, I don't like these types of terms, but uh, it basically... I do. One of that the sounds brilliant. Things. I, knew, I knew you were going to step in there, Joel. Uh, you're, you're a huge fan of these sort of arbitrary names that are created for positions around the around the pitch. Give us a couple of your favourites then. Uh, oh, Trek, uh, uh, Trek Artista. Uh, has to be up there just because of, of football manager and uh, what else in in Banch I think that's a, a very similar player it's uh, in Argentina it describes I think a, a number 10 or a hook so yeah it's it makes it makes writing f- uh, more fun and easier but but for the, us who the, don't the write, Craig <laughs> Yeah, so I was going to say, the, the thing that I'd read, and it, and it was just when I saw those two goals, it, it, it kind of brought it back up, was about uh, taking shots when they were unexpected. And in both cases, I think Morelos hits the shots really early. Like, you you kind of, before the ball comes to him, and before you know it, it's kind of in the bottom corner. And I think it, it catches out Taylor, who could, who could be tighter to him and stuff, but also it catches out Lewis. And, and I'm not blaming Lewis in any way for the two goals, because I think they're just, just two excellent finishes. But I think it kind of brought that, that's the quality that he brings is that most players, it would have taken them another second before they even thought about getting that shot away. Um, so so I prefer I prefer to think about those goals as, as being pretty good from an attacking point of view. It's not to say you can't pick faults. And I think, as I say, Taylor could have done better. There's probably, there's probably other instances of Aberdeen players maybe just being able to get a wee bit tighter to their men in the build-up as well and just make it a wee bit harder to work it into the centre like that. But I think the two finishes are of, of the kind of the highest quality. Yeah, and it's something we're used to seeing with, with Morelos. I think Morelos, when he was at his best, uh, obviously the obvious things about him rolling defenders, enjoying the battle. But I agree with you. Uh, back when he was at his best, it was always those early finishes. He liked a lot of one-touch finishes. And and to, it was, I, I, I was delighted to see him back like that. And I know he's a box office player and I know he's hated and loved probably in equal measures across the country. But for me, he's, he's, he's one of my favourite players to watch uh, in Scottish football. And I don't mean that just in terms of his box office nature, in terms of his fighting and um, his, the red mist descended. I just mean genuinely in watching him play football. So I'm delighted to see him back there. But Craig, I need to come to you now because we had the before any of these goals went in, we had the penalty and red card decision from Hedges, and I know you've been having uh, your usual pots at people on Twitter. So here's sort of like you have your soapbox and tell us what the rights and wrongs of that decision was. This is a, but this is a degree of professionalism you're talking about in the the aborted uh, introduction <laughs> that we had to do earlier. Um, my my Twitter outbursts. Um, yeah, I just think the the. The way the way that the um, discussions were done, the way the discussion around refereeing decisions is um, in British football, I don't know if it's the same on the continent, is is just wrong. It just kind of hangs referees out to dry because rather than looking at what the actual rule is, you have people basically making their judgments based on what they think the rule should be or what they think the rule is. I don't understand. Um, I watch sports scene. I watch Sky Sports uh, when when the game is on live. At no point did any of them actually just bring up the one paragraph from the laws of the game that says what the rule is. Mm-hmm. And and it feels like that the most obvious thing to do, whereas you watch like NFL or something, and if there's any sort of contentious decision, the first thing that you get is this kind of paragraph. You see it on the screen and then they, they talk through it basically is how how is that decision been, been come to. And, and I have sympathy in the sense that I think that type of incident, when the law was drawn up in terms of um, this kind of getting rid of the double jeopardy thing. I think this type of incident was perhaps one of the types that it might have had in mind where it was it was an accidental foul. I don't think Hedges is trying to, to catch him. I think he's trying to kind of get across, get himself into a better position. However, 
the referee can't go on what he thinks the rule was meant to be maybe written up to be. As was the case with a number of them, it's not been drafted particularly well. And so it says if a player's making a challenge for the ball, then he won't get sent off. Well, Ryan Hedges is not making a, an attempt to play the ball. That's not what his foul is. So therefore, there isn't, an, there isn't an option for the referee not to send them off. It's basically, if you foul someone and deny a goal scoring opportunity, it is a red card. The only exception being if you make an honest attempt to play the ball or whatever, or an attempt to play the ball. The rule should, you, if they wanted to go that, the rule should be, it's only a red card if they think the foul is deliberate, but that's not what the rule is. Um, so therefore, the, there is not, there's not an argument really for it not being a red card. So so while I have sympathy and I think, if you, I, I don't like this rule in general. I think the, the rule as it was was better where it was just, you deny a goal scoring opportunity or off. But if they wanted to change the rule, um, then I think this type of incident should be covered by it, but it's not. So it has to be a red card. And what can the referee do about that? Yeah, that's not his job to, to talk about, to consider the spirit of rules or anything like that. He has to look at it as completely black and white. Um, what did you think about uh, Curtis Main's uh, red card? Well, sort of booking that everyone was screaming about being a red card, Craig. I'd be interested to know what other people think on that because for me, like, it's one of these that he's, his feet are high and he goes in with his foot kind of up. But I don't think it's actually particularly dangerous compared to others. Like, I think a yellow card's okay. I, th I think if you gave a red card, you could understand why. But I think, unlike other challenges, I don't think the, act the actual risk is particularly high just because of the, the way of the, ch the challenge. And this is where it comes difficult because it's very hard to describe what you mean because a lot of these things, it's just you see it and you kind of have a feeling of this is what I think it should be. But there was just something about the nature of it. I thought, you know what, it's not... It's not going to break somebody's leg. It's not going to cause a serious injury. It's clumsy. It's it's very much reckless, which is a yellow card offence, but I don't think it's dangerous, which is what it has to be in order to be a red. I think yeah, you so could I, argue I, either I, way. Yeah, I I think this is uh, this is one that's very much up to the interpretation of the the referee. I think it's less uh, cut and dry than the penalty decision because I mean it falls under serious foul play, which says a tackler challenges and endangers the safety of an opponent or uses excessive force or brutality must be sanctioned as serious foul play, uh, which uh, means a, a red card. And you could maybe argue um, excessive force. It was, I would say, it was an, it was an ugly challenge. Uh, an ugly challenge. It was a very, very uh, messy challenge as well. I still think, uh, I think Barisic, because he, I think he can manage to withdraw a, a wee bit, but it, it could have been a lot worse than it was. I think I was thinking it because it's sort of like in midair and it's not like a planted leg or anything like that. I mean, it's going to take something a bit unusual for anything to get broken or, or severely injured in that. I mean, I, I, that might be my, just my perception that isn't true at all, but that's just sort of how I, I viewed it um, on, on sort of like on, on a shin in midair. How much damage can you can you really do? Or does that sound daft? I mean that's that's the, the the way the rules written again. It's is it's essentially a, a Joel kind of read it, but sorry read it out. But you're talking about is it dangerous, and that's where I mean it's what it's like with so many of these. It comes down to what each individual thinks dangerous is. But I think I agree with you, Tony, in the sense that I see dangerous as having the the possibility of causing a, a injury of some sort, like more than just getting somebody a bruise, um, which I think is all all the risk was now. Of course, one of the challenges I think it's impossible to kind of not take into mind kind of the, the players that are involved and stuff. And you think of Curtis Main and you think he's a big clumsy dumpling, so therefore he makes a clumsy dumpling foul. Do you know what I mean? Whereas if it's someone else, maybe you, you consider it in a different way. And I know you shouldn't be doing that, but I think it's natural. Obviously, I'm not the referee. I'm just watching the game as a fan and knowing what Curtis Main is like. It, it probably does sway your kind of interpretation of it as well. Um, but for me, I, I thought I didn't, I didn't have an issue with that not being a, a red card. I think if it had been a red card, then you probably wouldn't have had an issue with it either. It's one of those. It's kind of like the ref's there to make a, a judgment call. And perhaps if Aberdeen went already down to 10 men, it may have been different. Again, it shouldn't be, but you you know in reality that, that these things are considerations. Yeah, because they're human beings. I, must, I, I quite liked... Uh, I thought McInnes was all right after it. 
uh, when he spoke about it, he, he admitted that the referee came over and explained the decision to him, which I think paints the referee in good lights, which is not something I, I often hear from from a, a manager. I think they often talk about the fact that they're, they, 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 they aren't talking about or they refuse to talk about these decisions to them. And, and he basically stated what the referee said, which is very similar to what you've said already, Craig. So I thought, well, it must have been frustrating for, for Dick McInnes because, like we're saying, he doesn't agree with the rule. But at the same time, he still painted the referee in a good light, which I was a fan of. But let's move away from decisions. We're not like other places. We kind of like talking about the, the football from time to time. Um, Joe, um, Aberdeen were missing McCrory and they went with um, Hedges at wing back and sort of took Kennedy out and moved Maine into, the, sort of into their front three that they've used a lot this season. How do you think that went? It's, it's it's hard to it's hard to really uh, can analyze it just because of the red card. But up until the red card, I think they would have been relatively happy for making it a quite a scrappy game. I think I could understand looking like how you seen the game transpire. Looking back on it, it was probably a, a sensible decision playing two up and kind of trying to stop Rangers from from playing out from from the back and essentially trying to get Rangers to go a wee bit more direct, uh, longer, and the the, the three centre-backs would look to, uh, would fancy them chan- fancy their chances in, in the air. So I'm always, I'd always prefer Hedges in the middle, and I was surprised that, 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 Kennedy, uh, that Kennedy wasn't in there. Cosgrove and and, and Main, there's only reason. There's only kind of one reason why you play them up and it, uh, play them up as a strike force, and it's to be destructive, which uh, they, they kind of were. But you've seen it with Cosgrove's chance that they just they lacked that bit of pace and behind. Uh, it was so lumbering running through. It was like at no point during that that chance early on did you did you have any confidence that he was scoring? <laughs> no, no, not at all. Um... Right, is there anything else you'd like to mention about this game, guys? I was looking at, um, so Balogun was picked ahead of Holander uh, again. How do you feel about that? I'm a big fan of both of them, but I thought Balogun, I always just feel like there's slightly, like he's going to be stretching. He seems to make a lot more tackles than than Holander does. Um, I'm actually of the opinion that Holander is possibly the best out-and-out defender in the league. That might sound daft. I'm, in, I'm interested to hear your points of view on that. But Balogun, for, I think, in this case, I think Hollander against Maine and Cosgrove might have been the, the, the better bet. You saw from that early chance that Joe talked about with, um, with well, to be fair, Hollander and, sorry, um, Balogun and Goldstone both kind of getting themselves in a bit of a tangle with, or getting themselves kind of, basically forgetting where their feet were is what it seemed like for both of them, um, that you do expect, you, you wouldn't expect that from Hollander, you would expect a different type of mistake, definitely people running at him, um, you know, a bit of pace and stuff like that can, can cause him hassle but there, there wasn't any pace in that Aberdeen team um, certainly through the middle so it was less of a problem I, I tend to agree with you I think I think Hillander and Goldson is is the best partnership um, and I, I feel like Balogun is fine but he's, he's not quite at the level of those two um, he, he's probably a better footballer um, than Hillander certainly possibly than Goldson as well but I, 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 I couldn't tell I, I thought it was just interesting in general Rangers defensive shape you kind of saw the same type of issues that they had in Benf- both games against Benfica, to be honest, and that they're 2-0 up and and they just keep going. Now, that that's an admir- admirable trait sometimes because you can always say, well, you could be 2-0 up, sit back, and the other team pile on top of you and, and score two goals, and you say, oh, why did we, you know, why did we just concede space to them? Why did we not just keep doing what we were doing? But you saw with the goal Tavernier was... 50 yards up the park when, or it felt like it when um, when Kennedy scored the goal and they'd had a warning just before that from um, the incident where uh, Aberdeen eventually took the quick free kick and McGregor made a really good save that if you want to get the output out of Tavernier which they do in an attacking sense and, and, and that's fine what comes with that sometimes is that he, he won't be there when you're defending um, now they've obviously they've obviously accepted that as that's how, how things are going to go for them but I think there may be moments where they don't need to do that. You're 2-0 up in a game 
against still tough opposition, yeah, they're down to 10 men and stuff like that, a team that can hurt you, maybe just see the game out and, and Tavernier being 70, 50, 60, 70 yards up the park maybe isn't necessary there. Um, so it's hard, again, it's, it, it's not even being critical, it's just being more one of the consequences of having a really attacking fullback is that they're, they're not there to defend sometimes. Yeah, because they could have they could have asked. It's more like they can continue playing the way that they they play with Tavni and Barisic, but maybe they ask one of your sort of middle three to turn it into a back three a bit more often. I mean, you've got Kamara there who would be more than happy, I imagine, uh, to to completely sit in. Uh, and at the goal, so it looked like the criticism was mainly aimed at Aribo. He was sort of just jogging back and didn't look like he was doing it, but. Um, these are the warning signs they need. I mean, it's hard to. I mean, we're, we're being hypercritical because I mean, the Rangers are becoming extremely difficult to criticise any part of their of their game because it's so imperious now. And, and sorry, all the stats point to them being borderline perfect in the league. But um, these ideas, like maybe, conserve some energy. They showed that in, in other games towards the end of December, where they were sort of willing to take their foot off the gas, and maybe they should have done that done that here, uh, and maybe just ask Kamara or Davis to just just sit in there and, and just keep the ball off Aberdeen because Aberdeen, they, outside of the, those two incidents for the red card, didn't look like they had absolutely anything to, to do with, with this match, really. Um, is there anything else you want to add to that, Joel, Craig? No. No, I think, I think that's enough on this game. Lovely. Well, let's go to... Oh, what a fancy... Yeah, let's go to uh, Tory Macaroni, Livingston. Joel, I know you are um, excited to sort of watch Livingston. You've been, you were talking to me off air about um, how you've not had a chance to catch them uh, through this brilliant run. And that's them at what, eight games in a row, and seven games winning in a row. And what did you, what, what did you notice in this game about this new sort of carnation of, of Livingston? It's not that I've not had a, 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 a chance to watch, a chance to catch them. It's just that I've I've taken a I've t- taken a break from football over the last few weeks to watch very little, very little games and have a break. So I uh, that Livingston were probably the you team didn't have I to admit that Joel. I knew that, but I was sort of creating this. <laughs> Sort of world where uh, you've just been watching other things. We've got to, we've no, got no, to keep no, up this no. facade that we live and breathe football non-stop forever. Stop giving Some, people a look behind the curtains. Sometimes you have to take a break. But no, Livingston were the team I was looking forward to watching the most. Obviously, I'd uh, seen how well they're doing. I half watched the game against Hibs, which was which was awfully fun. But that game was... I kind of looked at that from his Hibs perspective because they were so disorganised. But Livingston, I think... I, I, I think this, this run and their style of playing performances maybe suggests that Martindale didn't have as much influence as maybe we, um, many expected or thought he did under Holt because Gary under Gary Holt, Livingston certainly did try to play uh, a bit more football. Maybe they tried to evolve, whereas I think Martindale came came in and or, or taken over. And they brought them back to kind of Livingston off old Livingston we expect and the Livingston that that suits the players at the club and kind of a lot a lot of the players are, are signed for. The you seen it with the you seen it with the the the, the goal the goal it's just uh Devlin plays a ball over the top. One thing they want to do is they want to turn the opposition defenders. That's what they constantly want to do. You seen it Robinson turned and uh, Keith Watson who. I was had to double and triple check that he was playing centre back. Uh, was was turned and Robinson played, scored an absolute lovely goal. And it was it was that they they, they played in the they played in the final third a lot more uh, a lot quicker. They turned defenders. They won set pieces. They won throw ins. And it was it was it was very much Livingston of old. Yeah, I was thinking that when, but even just the, the two goals, I thought they were absolutely sort of classic. Livingston goals in, in sort of different ways uh, as you say the ball the ball over the top quick ball that's sort of like being aware of the position of the the opposition defenders uh, and obviously when you've got Robinson up there you've got a completely willing runner and now we have to accept he, he, he has quality he, he's, a, he's, a, he's, a, he's a good Scottish Premiership player now and he had a great finish but even the second goal while the way they got to the edge of the box was a bit different than, than, than what we maybe say is the sort of classic Livingston way. They used sort of J. Emmanuel Thomas, who despite 
my criticism of him on here. He, he done really well for that. And they sort of moved through the gears and done well. But the way that they acted around the box for Forrest is, is, is sort of classic Livingston. Normally they're quite direct to get in there, but once they get to the edge of the box, they're really comfortable at interchanging, third man yeah. running. Uh, they're actually really good to watch in that position. Um, Absolutely, there was there was a moment just before there was a moment was it just before that goal or certainly before that goal where the uh, where the I think they they had a set piece sort of thrown and uh, kind of got knocked back out to the edge, edge of the box but they still had the ball they still retained the ball in the final third and then they they, they knocked it about very very smartly with a, a lot of movement. And just on Germanuel Thomas, I think it was interesting that Jack Hamilton has been brought back from East Fife. He was brought on before Jet, and then when Germanuel Thomas came on, he came on and he played wide because kind of I think just that that kind of he kind of epitomises that like he was a striker that maybe Gary Hall wanted to play and help the team evolve style stylistically. Whereas with Martindale, he's probably not the um, not the player, the all action player like Robinson or Dykes before who can play that that style. Craig, what do you, how how good are Livingston? What 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 are we talking about? Are these is this a team that's going to be fighting with Aberdeen and Hibs now for a place in sort of one of the European competitions on offer? I love being put in this position. It's like when we're getting asked if St Marin are going to be in the top six um, because you, you watch them for a wee spell and you go, oh, yeah, yeah, this looks like a good team. And then you always you're always terrified to make that prediction and then they just like lose their next four games or stumble a wee bit as St Mirren have. But I have thoroughly enjoyed watching Livingston play basically since they've got promoted. I, I think I said this before, I was, I was at the second leg of the playoff final against Partick Thistle when they came up and, and I absolutely loved watching the last half hour where they basically were playing like a 5-5-0 and just like Partick Thistle just didn't get anywhere near the goal. And it was just like like just you know how you know how to play football, you know how to win games. And and it might not I always say it might not be exciting for the neutral, but it's it's sure as hell exciting when it's your team doing it. Because everyone's just really good at what they're doing. And that having that degree of competence throughout your team um is something that as a as a fan, that's exactly what you want. Um the the thing that struck me is that that first goal I think um sum, sums up what they're good at and it's People kind of can talk about long, long balls and being direct and stuff, but there's there's a difference between being direct. I think it was levelled at, at Kelly quite rightly for a while, which is just humping the ball up to a striker with no real idea of what you're supposed to be doing, and being direct as they were there, where it's actually really intelligent. You're you're waiting for an opportunity to kind of set someone away to 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 launch a ball over the top to give yourself a chance of actually doing something. It's targeted. It's about kind of. Um, been quick thinking and it's about and you see the quick thinking in the past but also in, in the finish obviously from Robinson um, which is brilliant and that's the type of thing that, that makes me think if you in this league being competent everyone being good at what they're supposed to do and everyone understanding where they stand in the team you can get away with a lot if you have that all of those things and Livingston very much do so I I will say that I would be surprised if they don't finish in the top five um and 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 it wouldn't be beyond. I think the 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 winning run will stop. Of course, they're not going to win every game, um. But it, it wouldn't surprise me if they at least kind of troubled Aberdeen and Hibs for a wee while. It might be that Aberdeen and Hibs eventually pull away from them, but it feels like they're more likely to be causing going in that direction than they are to kind of being brought down to the pack below. I wouldn't. I wouldn't be. I think there's. I think going to staying on that. I think there's more chance of them overtaking Hibs than being pulled into the the muck below I do think they're going to be in Europe next season but obviously because of uh, a, a team who's already qualified for Europe winning the Scottish Cup that's very exciting times and I and, and, and I, agree, I agree they've got a huge game coming up they've got a huge little period here actually where they're mm-hmm. going to be asked a lot of questions because they've got their games in hand uh, and they're playing Aberdeen then they've got Celtic back to back as far as I'm aware so um, depending on by the time this goes, it depends on how many players are missing for Celtic and what players are. are, are I've just sorry, sorry to interject, Tony, but I've just seen the Celtic lineup. And Go for it. Load, loads of players are uh, loads of players are missing. So the one like the ones that have been kicking about social media. So they are um, they are playing a player called Cameron Harper. Good. And they are 
So it's said uh, Shane Duffy's even having to play. So like the only the only regulars are Sorrow, Turnbull, Rogic, Frimpong, McGregor, Johnston, Laxalt. Uh, they've got no strikers. A Yeti, Dembele, a Yeti, Edward, um, and Griffiths, Griffiths are uh, none of them are playing. Well, that's decent news. So, like going on, going on that obviously decent news for Hibs, but uh, like Livingston, that obviously that those players are still going to be out for next uh, for Saturday's game when they play Livy. The the one team they won't want to face with that with that eleven, aside from Rangers, of course, is is, is Livy. Well, they play Livy twice, right? Because they play them in the the Wednesday as well, so they might be missing for both games against Livy. No, I don't they know exactly. I think. They've they've they have to self isolate from the day they arrive. Uh, so the ten days start from the day they arrive back. Has that been reduced from fourteen to ten? Because it used to be fourteen. It was fourteen. It's, when, it's, when I think it's I think it. it's ten now. Yeah, it's ten now. So okay, yeah. so they, they will. But but of course they're, 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 they're technically they're technically not supposed to be training. I mean they can run around their gardens, um, but yeah. Um, Some would I say mean, that's Kel- better Kel- Kel- than what Neil Lennon will give them, but that's that's for another discussion. Kelly went out and beat Livingston the day after our uh, our players came back, but that was Gary Holt's Livingston, so so a different prospect. Um, but yeah, I I really like watching them. Um, I've I've watched them turn up in rollers over or or, or, or or roll Kelly over a couple of times. Um, Christmas game, I've lost track of time. Twenty nineteen Christmas, it would have been in the beat is three 0 at the Tony Mac and. That was with Lyndon Dykes up front, but but Robinson, he's obviously not Lyndon Dykes, but he has some of the same traits in terms of how he gets about the park, and yeah, they they they're just a they're just a really, um, a uh, lot of the other teams in the league are quite similar to each other, and Livingston are very different, and that's one of the best things about them. That central, um, it, sorry, 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 Craig, that central five, uh, Bartley, Holt, Mullen, Pittman. Sibold, uh, it's, it's it's that's really good. Uh, it really suits the, the suits them. They're all getting to play in roles where Bartley sort of sort of plays quick balls round the back uh, rather than having to hold on to the ball. Hope gets licensed to sort of try and use the ball intelligently. He's allowed to dribble. He's got players' feet that he can play it with the guys in front of them. Mullen's such a really good reactive player. Um, Pittman can do everything. He can drive for deep, which we saw from the for the for the second goal. And Sibold, sort of a good all rounder, who sort of found himself out of the team earlier in the season, and now they're bringing off Forrest. They've got Emmanuel Thomas, uh, Lawson's a good player up there. Hamilton's getting a goal, and then even in defence, like Ambrose has found himself back in there with Kieran Brown being moved to. To, to left back and uh, that's meant that Serrano's not playing so like the squad looks like really really deep and like and I, and I don't mean that in a and sort of pat the head sort of way it's like all these guys we've all watched them all play regularly and all have good games and know what they're they're all about so you're talking about that's a good 18 players that that there won't be really much of a drop-off if, if one's coming in and, and one's going out yeah th- I think the big thing is just reading uh, reading Livy's, uh, I think, listen, sorry, listen to some of their fans is that game by game they they don't really have a, a settled eleven. I think they have a settled core, but just the fact that Martindale has picked, he's got the players he knows uh, he can trust, and it extends beyond just eleven names. So he knows that if there's a particular weakness that he wants to exploit in an opposition team, he can chop and change. And I think uh, I think that's one of the, the real positives about Livy at the moment. And there's like a couple of players have been transformed. Nicky Devlin, he was getting castigated at the start of the season. He was really, really poor. And he's come on to a brilliant game recently. I thought it was, I was really impressed with just his driving runs uh, at the win at the weekend. And also Jason Holt had the really understated kind of performance just in the, the, the middle, just knitting everything together. We'll get into Ross County sort of quickly before we move on. They'll be really disappointed to that first goal, I think. Um, that was sort of more like when Kelwell was there, he played that sort of really high line in a back three. And when I noticed when they played Hibs, that was something, and I, met, I think I mentioned it on the podcast, that the defence looked a lot deeper, so they'll be disappointed with that. Um, what about Jason Naismith? I mean, he came, that, that, that was him getting another game under his belt. I know he played against St Johnston, but it was a great cross for the goal, wasn't it? He's he's a good player, Naismith. Like I, I think he's he's not he's a bottom half Premiership player. I think in in reality, but he's a he's a solid right back, and he should improve things. And I think get, getting him in was a good piece of business. Certainly, when you you look at kind of the the right back options that they had available in the first half of the season, that there wasn't um, 
there wasn't much much that you would kind of be, be keen to have. Um, but the the thing for me with County is you wondered with, with the change of manager if they would start leaking goals, um, but not really. Um, it's another three kind of shipped in this game. And I think it's a worry that if you talk about a new manager bounce, they've, they've not really had it. They got the win against Hibs, but they, they've continued to kind of bumble along with the same sort of form that they had before. Um the, the one thing I would say is from the highlights is it was very clear that uh, John Hughes is very vocal as a manager because um, you could hear him. Um, I, maybe it was just where the cam, the, the microphones were at the, the Tony uh, Tony Macaroni, but he was very loud um, and kind of dishing out instructions to his players throughout the game. Now, that that's probably a good thing as long as the, the instruction remains positive, which, to be fair, it mostly seemed like it was. Um, but the interesting thing, I guess, is that you expect when you bring in a manager to get at least a lift at the start and, and they picked up a few points but I don't think it it was any different to what went before I would. I really but, did like the makeup of their defence they play, moved Yakoviti to left back mm-hmm. and I watched a lot of his clips Yakoviti I watched a lot of his games at the start of the season before uh, before the season started when Ross County first signed him and he, he he was a centre-back who kind of meet him with centre-back who also played left-back for Oldham. And every time he played left-back for Oldham, he looked like a, a centre-back playing left-back. Keith Watson is, for me, is not a Scottish Premiership centre-back. No, I'd agree. And Yakoviti, sometimes I watch him, he's got a decent pass on him. In case, like he, he can play sort of raking balls. Uh, mm-hmm. Wide, I think that worked quite well for them when uh, Charles Cook was, was sort of playing more in those wide positions but this seems to be I don't know if it's a theme because I think there's so much chopping and changing over every single game for Ross County since Hughes came in which is which is obvious I mean he wants to try out different players he's trying to find the system but against Hibs he had Watson at right back uh, and he, and then he had um, I think he had Reed at left back in that game so he had one attacking fullback and then one who would sort of slot in who's putting more of a defender. And in this game, like you say, he's went for Yakoviti at left back and he's got Naismith pushing forward. So I don't know if that's a theme that maybe he wants to be able to sort of when they have the ball move into a, a back three. Um, Joel, we've been talking about Harry Payton getting more output in the last third. He got his goal against Hibs and uh, I suppose we have to call that an, an assist in this game. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and that was one of the things I noted down in my, my notes because I watched it and I like, oh, scuffed his shot. Then the the first replay I watched, I was like, has he actually has he actually played a really cute pass there? Then the third replay, no, no, it is just a really, really awful effort. And he has scuffed it into the 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 path of uh, path of Larkin. He, um, yeah, Ross. I, I don't think it was a, a an overly great match, and not a lot of uh, not a lot of kind of great attacking play for from either t- either team across the piece. And he, Peyton kind of just the usual kind of flitted in and out. It's hard because he was kind of fielded wide, or started from a wide position. They do seem to have. All the, the squad looks to be fully fit now, near enough, uh, looking at it. Like, you mean, Vigers, Mackay, Hilton, Charles Cook, Gardine, uh, obviously Andrew's been brought in and Josh Reed's on the bench. So um, it'll be interesting to see what he ends up going with because I think a lot of people would argue that something like but Vigers has been a mainstay um, sitting in there kicking people for, 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 the, for the whole season. And I would argue that Charles Cook, after a bad start, started to show that he was sort of, quite a crucial player to them and they do lack pace all over the pitch uh, and that would for me would mean that I think Charles Cook needs to play or Hilton needs to one of them needs to play just even if they're not playing well just so there is some sort of pace in that team um, but yeah it'll be really interesting because he's got a fully fit squad there Ollie Shaw missed an absolute sitter in this game but he did get the goal against Hibs but obviously once um, Stewart being their main injury once he comes back you imagine he will play but that time gets shorter and shorter and those teams around them outside Hamilton um, and sort of Motherwell, you, you assume they're going to be getting better and better. So I still think it's really worrying times for Ross County. Talking of Motherwell, let's go to St Mirren. Let's go to Paisley where St Mirren played Motherwell. Um, this was Alexander's first game and he went with a, sort of to me, looked like a 4-3-3 formation where he started with sort of hasty 
Cole and walked. Uh, Joel, I know you watched this game. I, I, I thought that that worked okay, especially in the first half. I liked um, sort of Watt dropping deep, picking up the ball, and sort of Cole going and sort of stretching the game and, and going mm. over the top. How did you find it? Yeah, I agree with that. I agree with that assessment. I, over the piece, I, I, out of the four games I watched this week from the Premiership, I watched this weekend. I thought this was the uh, this was the poorest uh, or or least entertaining. Um, other than the fact that it was Motherwell's first game under under uh, Graham Alexander, looking at this the starting eleven, I thought that was much more. That was just trying to think because uh, I'm not the team lines up uh, in front of me, but uh, that was probably Motherwell's one of the strongest strongest. Yeah, 11. yeah, I would I would agree, especially with Kelly coming in in goal, so they don't have to play sort of like a cardboard cutout in there. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, and with Grimshaw, willing, uh, kind of really earnest, earnest player. But I just he's not someone I would, um, I would be playing every week. So he wasn't wasn't in the midfield, and I like the balance. I like the balance of the the midfield with uh, Polworth, Campbell, and O'Hara. But it, it just understandably just over the over the piece, it, it just didn't quite click. But there was positives there, and you. you this this isn't a team that should be getting relegated. I think this is a team that's gone, uh, that's just stagnated under. I think it just it's stagnated under under Stephen Robinson. And when you talk about John Hughes and that manager bounce, I wouldn't be surprised if Alexander that he doesn't get a manager's bounce. I think this this could be a longer term, um, a longer term issue for him to for him to uh, sort and kind of put his own stamp on the team. Craig, what did you what did you feel when you first heard? Um... So Graham Alexander would come in. What was your sort of gut instinct on that? I I mean I I don't, can't profess to be a kind of big follower of English lower league football, but for it for me Alexander. That's why we love you, Craig. That's nobody who follows English lower league football will ever be invited on this show. I don't think. <laughs> but the the one thing with uh, Alexander is that I knew that he kind of got um got the bullet from Salford after they kind of didn't really do as well as I think they would have hoped for in the league in League Two. Considering the budget that that Salford have, I mean, we know we know they came up and took kind of Vaclav Gladke and were paying him a fortune compared to um to what he got in, in um Adam Rooney before that. They presumably had the biggest budget or very close to it in League Two in England, and they didn't really fulfil that. But he did seem to do all right in his previous jobs before that. But you look at him, I think compared to Mickey Mellon, who came in from obviously a similar background, I feel like I feel like Mellon had a much better track record as a manager. Um, than Alexander does, but so I, I have my doubts about him coming in. I think I think Graham um, Graham and Derek when they were talking about it on the Patreon podcast about Motherwell kind of touched on the, the the notion that that he would probably be a good manager to come in in a summer and you know put his stamp on things. But I think it's a risk um, doing so in January. Um, I think if you're looking at the comparison and 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 I know there are a number of reasons why they might not have hired Tommy Wright or why Tommy Wright might not have. Um, I've wanted a Motherwell job, but if you're looking at this time of year and who you would think would be more likely to keep him up, you'd have to say right because he knows the league. Whereas you you are running the risk of bringing in someone who's kind of never experienced Scottish football before, doesn't have a clue, you know, what's going on up here. I mean, he okay, did say Scotland that as well. Alexander yeah, okay. actually was quoted in saying that that he, he was going out of his comfort zone. Yeah, I mean, okay, he's a Scotland international, and I think he had forty caps for Scotland, but. He never played up here, um, so it doesn't really. It doesn't being a Scotland international doesn't automatically mean that you actually pay much attention to the league when you you live, you've basically lived your whole life um, not in this country, and his assistant he's brought Chris Lachetti is very much the same. So that's interesting. I mean, he's obviously got the existing staff to lean on that that were there before, but that that to me it, it can be a good thing because you know you come in with no kind of preconceived notions and that can help you're just assessing the players as they are I mean Steve Clark presumably wasn't following much Scottish football before um, before he came here but Steve Clark had experience in the English Premier League and Graham Alexander's got experience in League 2 so there is a there is a difference <laughs> yeah. um, so it will be interesting I would say but I I had my doubts about the appointment but in fairness it looked like he got a good tune out of them, more or less, compared to what had gone before. Uh, Joe, I was um, the first half. I thought was was a, was a decent watch um, for for reasons. Is like I thought Motherwell started like like they were wanting to work hard. They were they were keen, but they still looked nervous. It still looked like mm. there'd been scars from from previous games. And then uh, I thought St Mirren, 
they sort of got at them pretty fast. I like St Mirren's makeup of their team, and now that I, I don't, I'm not, I'm not going to profess to be Brophy's biggest fan, but the four-two-three-one they've got there, they are so close to just having it. I mean, there's only one one position where it's not really already told, and that's probably out wide on the right where um, sort of McAllister played. Um, this week and obviously in other games it has been oh it's just struck my mind too is it that's been playing out on the right uh, he got sent off against Hibs um, no nah, it's gone I've forgotten exactly who it is but um, um, I was going to say Brandon Mason but not Brandon Mason Mason yeah Mason yeah it's a left back yeah but he's been he was playing out on, he's been he playing further forward like, he's been playing further forward and they've had Connolly oh. out on the right in, in other yeah. games recently. Um, but so they've had so they had McAllister, sort of McGrath and Connolly supported by Erwin and, and Doyle Hayes. With Erwin up front, you've got to assume that this was sort of Erwin's last dance. Um, they they went with a four four two at the second half, and they did sort of take control more of the game in the second half. But it was much unfortunate because, as I said in the first half, I thought it was much more up and at them. Scottish football classics, but then St Mirren sort of got to grips with it a lot more in the second half, and that actually made the game sort of more boring, Joel. <laughs> yeah, I would, uh, I would, I would agree with that again. Uh, again, I was kind of tuning in to 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 really to see St Mirren because as as well because they're another team who have done who have picked up well of late, and I've only seen bits and bobs. I've heard a lot of good things about uh, Doyle Hayes, about uh, about Connolly, and Connolly was it was kind of. He's, he's, he's an unusual looking player in terms of the kind of socks quite low down. He's he's, he's quite he's quite skinny. You don't think he's going to be this uh, probably this exciting winger, but he is. He's, he's quick and he, he can turn defences. And the, the one thing I really like about the about Samirin and what Jim Goodwin has been doing is that he's he's kind of been changing the makeup of the team and bringing a lot more youth full kind of uh, vibrancy to the it's certainly further forward because you've got a you've actually got a really experienced defense uh, the players that know about the premiership with Tate, Shaughnessy and uh, Fraser and then in front you've got a lot like the, the, the midfield five are just really dynamic young kind of hungry players I'd like to see a place for Cameron McPherson in there and mm-hmm. going forward while not being overly impressed with St Mirren at the weekend going forward there's a lot to be uh, excited about for St Mirren I did notice a lot of fans getting really excited about Eamon Brophy's signing I quite like Brophy I think he's a good player but at the same time there is uh, he's not got the greatest scoring record he has the ability to really frustrate and I'm really curious to see how how he's going to fit in to the players behind him, like the, the, the attacking three, and whether Goodwin might think to play him alongside Obika, because over the last, Craig will tell me if I'm wrong, but over the last kind of 12 to 18 months or so, Brophy's best scoring form has came when he's been playing in a in a two with Kabamba. Yeah, well, with, with someone with Kabamba or Stuart or Boyd or whoever it was throughout mm. his kind of career, he's been better with a partner. I thought he actually, I actually was most impressed with him as a player when he was playing as a lone striker last season when he was our only striker because I thought like he's, he was doing a hell of a good job for the team but that's that's fine but in terms of scoring goals, um, it's been playing with playing with someone. Um, now I don't I think, I don't think uh, Samirin, his best goal scoring form came with with Boyd and Stewart and Samirin clearly don't have anyone of of the quality of either of those two, um, but. I think I think he'll do fine at St Mirren. I think I think he's a good player at this level. I've always liked him as a player, but always also felt he's um, a lot of Kelly fans overrated him at, at times. And and I think I was kind of quite on the record as saying that I thought we should have tried to get rid of him, and maybe we did when when his stock was high um, after the kind of eighteen nineteen season because I think that was. I think we we got the absolute most that we could hope to get out of him in in that season. I think I think the fact that he's had to end up at St Mirren say, says a lot about where his career's gone since then. Um, it's very much a sideways step, if not if not a slight step down. Yeah, I mean, I, 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 the thing I would worry about is I, I really like McGrath. I was taught, on this top five Premiership players of the month. He was someone I, I picked, and he was really high. And I was impressed with him pretty much again. I love the way him and Doyle Hayes sort of dovetail. Doyle Hayes is so good; it seems so good at intercepting and reading the game. Mm-hmm. 
and getting the ball forward to him. But one thing I'd worry about if I was a St Mirren fan is that McGrath likes a shot. And if you've got the two central players are like McGrath in behind Brophy, um, so we could have some high percentage, like low percentage finishing. Uh, and I did, I quite liked it. Michael Stewart knew his stuff. He, when he was asked on sports scene, I was actually waiting to criticise. I was waiting when they asked him about uh, is Brophy going to bring the clinical side to St Mirren, which they've missed for a long time. Uh, I was waiting to jump on uh, all the pundits on sports and I was expecting them to give that throwaway answer because Brophy's a big name and we've seen him score goals. Um, but they did, he, to be fair to Stuart, he did mention the fact that um, he's got reservations about Brophy being that type of player for St Mirren. So it'll be really interesting to see anyway. Are we moving on then? Let's do it. Craig Anderson, what, this is your what moment. The, what about the penalty decision just before we move oh, on? I, I, yeah, that's a, I, just, the, the, I just thought the worst. It, it, it's... It's not a penalty, and it must be uh, it must be terrible for Motherwell to have something awarded against them that they didn't deserve. So, um... <laughs> yeah, it's never a penalty in a, in a in a month of Sundays. I didn't, I couldn't believe it. That even it's like when he goes down, it's sort of already there's a brushed arm, and he doesn't even go down at the right time for that brushed arm to make it look like it's a penalty. He goes down after it, and uh, yeah, I thought it's one of the it's one of the worst decisions of the of the season uh, for me. I, I mean, I didn't. Uh, I didn't really want to talk about it. I just thought I'd, I'd get my little bitter line that I'd prepared, and just just I didn't want to miss out on that. You can always have a bit. You your bitterness is always welcome here. That's a that um, degree of professionalism coming in again. But anyway, <laughs> sorry to interrupt. Um, well, something you weren't bitter about, Craig, was um, Kilmarnock um, finally finding some form and beating sort of Hamilton Academicals two 0 But we might as well have another start of. How many defenders did Hamilton play? So what was it oh, this week? It was six this time. Six? Uh, okay. Yeah. Um, Char- Charlie Trafford was in the midfield rather than playing two defenders in the midfield. So they, they had um, Trafford, Callaghan, and Moyo and Winter all playing as um, as non, non-defenders non along with the, the ones that were playing. They also had um, George Stanger or Stanger, I don't know how you pronounce it, Stanger I would assume. Um, coming in for one of his first games, I think he maybe played a few games. But he's a kind of young New Zealand boy, but I think he. Yeah, he's, they said he's, in, they said there. Yeah, I was just I was just going to say he's 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 played a few times. Uh, I think, and I think there's some at Hamilton who have uh, had uh, big hopes for him. He played New Zealand, played for the New Zealand youth team when they came up against Erling Haaland, and he um, and he kept that uh, beast quiet, but couldn't do it with uh, Danny Whitehall. <laughs> but, but Erling Haaland's not not going to the Euros, so that that says it says a lot about him, I think. Um, yeah. So what about like let's look at Kilmarnock though. I mean, we've spoke about Hamilton quite a lot recently. I know I was on, and Joel, I will come to you to talk about Callahan because I know you've you've got a lot to say. I think on the on him, but Kilmarnock, like what's so Whitehall? It's, it's, I think this bizarre, but it's like is Whitehall now sort of seen off Eamon Brophy, seen off. Kibamba, who was sort of like uh, a bit of a, a shock, um, sort of how good he was as a sign, and even though his form's fallen off a cliff, is, is Whitehall the, the, the man now up front, Craig? I, I wouldn't go that far, definitely, but I would say that he has made the team a lot better. Um, he's not a good footballer. I don't think he has a great deal about him, to be honest, in terms of ability, in terms of, you know, if you were to say technically, is this guy a good footballer? No, he's not, but what he has is a presence, and he makes really intelligent runs. Um, he, he seems to drag defenders around a lot. He's kind of constantly playing on the shoulder. He knows when to drop deep. So he's got the game intelligence, I think, to kind of make us a better team. And he, and he does link up quite well. Um, we'd had kind of... I was talking to, to um, Al Mitchell, who we've had on a couple of podcasts before, and he was comparing him to Connor Salmon and I was comparing him to Alan Russell. And I think he's, uh, he's, he's somewhere in between because he's... Better, I think he's going to be better for us than Russell was, but probably not quite as um, explosive as Salmon was uh, for Kelly. But he's he's in that kind of mode of just sometimes you get a striker who just makes the team around him better. You saw it with the second goal. I mean, it's partly really bad defending from Hamilton, as we said, six defenders on the park, and and not one of them thinks to be within about ten meters of Greg Kilty. But Whitehall being there is just enough to kind of, I think, make some of them think twice because we had the ball out wide and obviously they start to think, are they going to sling across to him? And it creates an opening um, which perhaps wouldn't be there with a different striker. 
And so so I think he's making the team better. I think the changes that, that were made ahead of the... Well, he started it with the Livingston game, but then the performance was really poor. But the changes that have been made to the team recently and having him as centre-forward, having Kilty playing in the number 10 role, which I think has always been his best position, but there's always been doubts about whether he was quite good enough. I think when we had better players around, you would always say, well, can you, can you afford that? But right now, he needs to play every week. And also having um, Malumbu uh, in the middle of the park, just having guys who are willing to take risks and guys who are willing to actually make something happen um, has made a big difference to that team. So I think the performance levels, they've not been perfect by any means, but there's there's a definite sign of, oh, we can see how we're actually going to score a goal now, which wasn't there for, for weeks. So Whitehall, if he's going to be like Connor Salmon, does that mean that Greg Kilty, to get him up there, does that mean he's going to be, have to be like Eremenko? There's a comparison <laughs> to be made, but um, I, the only comparison is that Greg Kilty is not as good as Eremenko. Well, on that, Craig, I was going to ask, well, so Kilty's had a pretty decent season, and I know you spoke about him a fair bit, and he's sort of coming through, his output's improving. I think he was always thought of as quite a hard-working forward. Um, and that guy could maybe maybe create something, but it wasn't something you would would consistently see. Um, so he's getting to what twenty four now. But where do you see Kilty's ceiling being now? Um, can can he move on for Kilmarnock, or is he going to be, or is he now? Do you do you believe that he's now going to be like a main man at Kilmarnock? I think he's done enough to to definitely say that he now he's now an, a, not quite a first name on the team sheet, but close to that. Now you you would expect him to play more games than than he doesn't. I think obviously he was. He was. He was the the absolute star of the team under Lee Clark, really, in that period. Um, you know, he obviously scored two goals in the playoff final. He scored a double against Hamilton in a game before that as well. Even at that young age, I think he would have been about eighteen at that point. He was. He was clearly the talisman of that team, and was linked with moves. I think. I think Hibs were linked with him quite strongly. And and when he signed the contract at that point, which he did. It was, it was a massive coup for Kelly to keep a hold of him. Um, fortunately, I think he has a Kelly fan growing up and stuff, which makes a big difference. Um, obviously, then got a couple of really bad injuries that, that set him back. And I think when the loan started going and he wasn't really getting much of a sniff under Steve Clark, and then subsequently Alessio um, as well, you started to worry about his future. But he's finally kind of worked his way back in and I think he's probably not a Steve Clark type of player so in, in hindsight it's not a surprise that he didn't get much of a, a look in there but you can see with quality offers and if he keeps playing like this there's no reason he can't play for a better team in the Premiership I mean the hope is that we will be the better team that he plays for if you know what I mean but if we're not then he, he can definitely do what someone like Scott Wright's done at Aberdeen like he's he's definitely I think of that level I think he doesn't have the pace to play at a really high level. I think he, his creative ability is, is second to none. I think he's technically excellent and his finishing is very good, as, as we saw again. Um, he's he's gonna got, kind of got that predatory one and, and a really nice kind of curled finish. Yeah, they were very, they were very, different, well. they were very different finishes, but they were both of a high side. The first one you thinks you don't think much of it. Um, you think just diverted, it's quite lucky. But when you see the replay, there's sort of intelligence about it. It's all, it's all very deliberate. And the second one is 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 that's high quality. I, I think it's poor defending, but um, he's confident. He takes his time. He he isn't rushed and sort of bends it into the corner. I think it's when you see a player who, and he's one of them. He takes the ball, and as soon as he has the ball under control, he adapts his body shape straight away. So you, you never kind of you see players, and it really annoys me. When you see a player get on the ball and it takes them like five touches to have their body facing the way you would like it to be. <laughs> um, Aaron McGowan is um, a player who I think is particularly bad for that in the current Kelly team. Uh, I think it stands out as a real lack of technical ability compared to a lot of the guys around him, um, which is maybe being harsh um, on him, but I am unconvinced by. But when you see um, Kelty do it, I think he, you watch him and you think that you just you know how to play football. And, and then they're talking about predatory goals, he obviously scored one against Livingston earlier in the season where... Uh, Ross McCrory dropped the ball and he was standing right there and reacted to it instinctively and, and ma managed to prod it in as well and a lot of players would have missed that because they wouldn't have kind of got they wouldn't have been quick thinking enough and so I think he's a really intelligent player and, and I'm really pleased um, I, I saw Alex Dyer say today that getting him on a new contract is a kind of priority now um, hopefully a long one I think I think there's no risk in giving giving someone like him like a two and a half year three year deal because at even if he doesn't kick on, 
he's going to be a very good squad player for Kelly at the very, very least. So it feels very low risk. Um, I, yeah, I am really pleased to see him do well. Were you feeling much more comfortable with Finlay and Broadfoot together again? Yeah, Finlay had an, yeah, yeah, they they are they are and have been an excellent partnership. And I think Broad, Broadfoot's probably been potentially our player of the season so far. Um, he, he gets a bit of stick, but he's been very good. Finlay's been hot and cold, but Finlay had an excellent game on, on Saturday. And that pairing is by far our best pairing. And if we can get something out of Finlay again, and, and he, he can, again, he's one that's out of contract and I have no idea whether... He will or will not be staying, but because um, there there will be clubs sniffing about, I'm sure. But mm. but he he does seem to enjoy it at, at Kelly. Um, he made an absolute incredible block from Andy Winter in the uh, yeah first half. There there was two of them where he, he kind of came back almost out of nowhere to make a tackle, and and that's the one reservation I would have about you know yeah we've we've taken seven points should have been nine points really, um, but for a, a terrible error from from Rogers against St Mirren from the last three games. And played much better, but there has been fragility there. And Aki's had two chances that came from our defensive shape, um, and and it mainly came from the midfield in front, um, which is where he missed Gary Dicker, just really not being um, not being set up very well. And you can get away with that against Motherwell the way they've been playing against St Mirren and against uh, Hamilton Aki's, but the next run of games is against slightly better opposition. The next game's against Hibs. You can't get away with that type of thing. So as much as I think there's a there's been a vast improvement in those last three games, I do worry that you come up against better opposition and just get picked off again. And that's been the kind of story all the way through Dyer's reign, especially this season. We've, we've won most of the games against the, the bad teams, but we've, we've not laid many gloves on the good teams. And obviously we spoke, I think we spoke at length about Hamilton in recent weeks, certainly podcasts I've been on. Um, and I don't think we've learned anything else really about them. They they managed to fashion a couple of chances, like they do in in most games. Um, and and when they don't take them, they've they've absolutely no chance of often hitting the bar. But um, what what do you think, Joe? I just wanted to talk about Ross Callahan. I noticed on Twitter you were talking, you were you were chatting about how impressed you are with them. What? How did you feel about him there? Yeah. So. Uh... I keep, I, keep, I keep saying this, I've not watched any football in like uh, three weeks until this weekend, but I actually watched the Hamilton. that's a lie, Joe. Yeah, I know, because I watched the Hamilton-Motherwell game just because I wanted to see how bad uh, uh, Chapman was and uh, yeah, he was stinking, but uh, Callahan, <laughs> Callahan, I thought he was really good against Motherwell and uh, there's one or two moments previous in the season where I've been, okay, There's he, he can offer someone, uh, offer something to someone in the Premiership and... It really struck home against Kelly. Okay, the Hamilton. I'll come on to talk talk about Hamilton in general. Uh, but been really poor. But the number ten position or a more advanced number eight uh, is really suits him because he is he's kind of all action and he can link because Hamilton plays so deep. He can kind of link play with his ability to uh, just he, he, his power running and. What surprised me more than he's I knew I know about his physical qualities. He's he's uh, he's really hard working. He's really dynamic. But I've always thought that it was his footballing ability that kind of maybe question where he was uh, of top flight top flight quality. But in certainly in the, the past few weeks, I've been really impressed by his his kind of awareness, intelligence, and there was a, a couple of times where he would uh, he'd play a pass around the corner or dribble away from someone is really good awareness and even though if it doesn't come off once he'll, he'll still try it again which is which is really good which is someone you need uh, someone Hamilton need I think Hamilton could be better and could get more out of Callan if they played much higher up the pitch because you look at against Kelly they don't want the ball uh, they've not got the midfielders to play possession football if they asked Callahan to do that, I don't think he's he, he's capable of that. He's better when he's got uh, footballers around him if he's going to play in the centre of the pitch. So moving him further up, that gets a bit more uh, more out of him. But Hamilton, they kind of just they just gave up, basically gave up possession, gave up um, positioning, and there was one point in the 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 first half where I think it was the twenty first minute, all eleven Aki's players were deeper than the centre circle in their own half, and yet Broadfoot still managed to pick out a pass to Kelty, uh, who was behind and between 
Dauphin and and, and Trafford, and he had a nice running running shot. Aki's, I don't think are good enough to defend their box as we've seen. There's we've seen with uh, with one of Kelly's goals where he just had acres of space because there was a miscommunication about who pressed, uh, who was to press the man on the ball, or do you just um, can he hold your line? I don't think they're good enough to to defend their way out of uh, relegation. And for me, if I was Hamilton or if I was Brian Riggs, I'd be looking to. I'd be pushing Hamilton a lot further up the park and basically just getting in teams' faces and just making it really difficult for them because when they do get the ball, it means they're so deep that they've got so much space to cover between where they get possession and the opposition goal. So it's no surprise that they don't have the the, the really poor possession play. They give the ball away more than any other team. They've got such a uh, they've got the worst passing. Um, accuracy in the league that's that's not surprising whereas if they played further up the pitch and pressed teams and then won the ball further up the pitch then they are much closer to the opposition goal so they they have to do less at the moment they're having to do so much with i would say a very limited attacking team because you've got david templin lewis smith suppose ogunpo all out so i think there's structural structural issues where was the winger um just I've just I can't believe I forgot his name, but he's been in the o- team in recent weeks. He's been pretty o- impressive. or Justin no. Johnson. Um, he played. Callum Smith. No, he was. He, he's been in the. He's been in the team recently. Um, two seconds. Oh, uh, sorry, and um, um, Thomas Nathan yeah. Thomas. Yeah, where, where was he? I mean, every time I've watched Hamilton recent weeks, I know people might be saying you don't even know the main guy's name that you were talking about, so it doesn't sound like you've really watched him. But uh, mm. uh, um, no, but when I've watched him, he's been like. I said on this podcast that he is everything when I watched them in their game against St Johnston, that he's going to be a one-man band about trying to keep them up in an attacking sense. And then I look at their team here and he's not playing. Did he get injured? Did I miss that? Mustn't he's, I don't think he was uh, on... He would be on the bench because Rice only made one sub and that was at half uh, half time. Uh, yeah, so he he must be one of the others who are injured because I know Bryce Rice has talked about the attacking players he's been without, but he still had um, he still had options on the bench in Olabi and Johnson who mm. could have uh, tr- if if he was trying to be a bit more attacking. Uh, it just seemed that as soon as Kelly went ahead, that was that was kind of game set and match. But I totally agree with you about they try to defend their way into staying up. I, they play with six seven defenders, but they still concede like eighteen. To twenty-five shots a game against sort of everyone, like like yeah, like like so. Not just talking about sort of like Hibs and Aberdeen or Rangers Celtic. I mean, so as against St Johnston, it was twenty odd shots against Kilmarnock. I mean, these are teams that are um, been been off form and are playing and are in the bottom six along with them, and they're getting like twenty odd shots a game as well. So it's while I understand with the lack of attacking ability and the injuries why they may be playing that way, but why not take a bit of a risk? You're just losing games anyway. Um, like push up, you might take a couple of hammerings, but you might get like a few. Even I'm saying this, I, Hamilton have picked up a decent amount of points this uh, this last month, but none of it makes any fucking sense. So it's always really hard to sort of analyze with Hamilton as it has been for the last sort of eight years. So I think me saying it doesn't make sense and not knowing what I'm talking about is good a time to finish as any. So I'd like to thank everyone for for listening. Uh, come and join us. We're going to go over to the Patreon to talk about the Scottish Cup. Um, and so we've all brought a few things and we're going to talk in general about that second round in the Scottish Cup so of our Patreon subscribers thank you very much come and join us everyone else send us a fiver come and join us it'll be good Joel say goodbye just before I say goodbye just a stat that I forgot to read out and I'll just I'll put it out there for the listeners how many goals have Motherwell scored while Jordan White has been on the pitch this season tweet me an answer He's fucking garbage as well. He really, really is. And Craig Anderson, you <laughs> I can't believe it. Have you got a stat for us to finish on? Uh, no, I don't. Wow, unheard of. Um, so, Craig, say goodbye to our fans. <laughs> Bye, everyone. <laughs> Bye. Thank you. Sports Social Podcast Network.